So we're back in Corinthians, we're carrying on through this mammoth book, this 16 chapters of teaching. And um, after dealing with some absolutely huge issues uh, in the church, such as how to engage with culture, um, sexual immorality, divisions, and who was following who in the church, what we've seen Paul start to do from chapter 11 onwards is change direction a little bit to look at the state of the Corinthians meetings together, how they were when they gathered together in the big, in the corporate, as we like to say, corporate, which is body, in the body together. And get to the church, what he's doing in these chapters between 11 and he'll continue to do to 14 is getting the church to reflect on whether they were displaying the life that Jesus had modelled for them when they met together. So in chapter 11 at the beginning, we saw him challenge the ladies in the church that the amazing freedom and respect that they had started to know since becoming Christians had gone a little bit askew, had developed in some culturally problematic lines. You can listen to Chris's talk online about that. And in meetings, this had stopped to reflect some of God's heart for how that freedom was to be used. And last week... Uh, with bearded Chris, we saw how the feasts and practice of communion in the church had become divisive, where the rich people had been having these huge, great love feasts, but not waiting for the poor people or poorer people in the church to finish work to come and join them. So by the time that the poorer people had got there, all the food was gone and they were drunk. And Paul challenges them, look, look at the communion, look at the Lord's meal here, and showed them that they just were not reflecting God's heart for their gathering together in that way. Great talk. Again, you can hear that online. You know, our meetings together are no small thing. This is such an important change of tact that he's taken over these chapters. They are like the shop window to Christianity. They're places where people either see the glory and goodness of God and the truth of the gospel on display, or they don't. And if they don't see real goodness in life and something different, they walk on by to the next shop, whatever that might be. You know, um, you heard of Gandhi? Fairly famous guy liberated India from oppressive rule. There's a really sad story in Gandhi's life that really stands as a warning to us about this. You know, when he was a young man, he read about the Jesus of the Bible when he was training to be a lawyer. And he was so excited by what he saw. The life, the liberator, the teaching, the power. This man was amazing. More than he'd ever seen in any other gods of his own country, of Hinduism or of Islam. And he went to church when he was studying in South Africa. But you know what he found when he walked through the door? Cold racism. No welcome. No warmth from the people sat in the pews. You sat over there at the back, please, because you're an Indian man. None of that one new man in Christ that God has called us to. None of that joy in the Lord and that open welcome that the cross left 
for eternity for all people. He was made to feel like a second class man just because of his colour. And despite his excitement about Christianity, he never became a Christian. Instead, he wrote about Christianity, I love your Jesus, but I don't like your Christians. He never saw the reality of Jesus and God in the shop window of the church, so he never went into that shop. Isn't that so sad? Isn't that so sad? Do you know, in Corinth, the shop window was not looking sharp in a number of ways. So Paul now, between chapter 11 and chapter 14, is turning to this issue to show them some of the ways the body together needs to put on display the glory of God and the gospel as they gather. Asking them, are you really living the life that Jesus displayed when you are together as a people? So that all people who are already Christians, agnostic, atheists from other religions, see the reality of the living Jesus amongst you. And you know, today in chapter 12, he turns to one of the most significant aspects of the life of the church that should be on display when we gather together. And he's going to stick around this topic for more time than he spends on any other topic in this book. He's going to be here till chapter 14. A big chunk of this book of the Corinthians is devoted to getting this right in your community. Should we find out what it is? If you want to follow with me, today we're in 1 Corinthians 12, 1 to 11. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord, and there are varieties of activities, but the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, and to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the workings of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Let me just start with a true story of a Middle Eastern woman from a nation who is hated by God's people because it had mixed pagan and Jewish beliefs and watered down the teaching of God. This woman was disgraced in her community. Five previous husbands and living with a man who is not her husband. Something that in her culture was utterly shameful, horribly shameful. 
And one day this woman went to do a task that she had done every day. She went to gather water from the well to take home. But on this day at the well, a stranger was present. A Jewish man, a foreigner who she knew hated her kind. But something was different about this man. Instantly he broke every rule of the day, speaking to her, a woman, and a foreign enemy. And he instilled her with dignity. He asked her for help. He asked her to get him some water. He then talked to her about how she had misunderstood God because of the culture and background she had grown up in. And he made a huge claim about himself. That he was the Messiah. He was the saviour sent by God that had been predicted and prophesied about throughout history. But what had stunned and shocked her more than the dignity he had afforded her was that this man, who she had never met, had known that she had had five previous husbands and that she was currently living unmarried with a man before she had said anything to him. So overwhelming was this. So she rang back to her village to tell everyone that she believed she may have found God's chosen saviour and brought them to meet this stranger. She believed what the saviour had said and claimed about himself because in a breath he had outlined her whole life story. It was a story of one husband, two husband, three husband, four husband, five husband, living unmarried. That was her life. You know, what Jesus modelled for us in John 4 here, when he met the Samaritan woman at the well, was that his God was different from all other gods of the world that there had been or would ever been. Simply, it modelled that he was a living God who cares, speaks and acts. And you know, as we come back to the verse this morning, all Paul is doing here in his simplest form, in this opening part of chapter 12, is simply reminding the Corinthians that this God, Jesus introduced the world to, was the God they were to put on display as they met together and no other. Not to stray from the model that Jesus had left for them. So Paul opens his chapter by completely distancing the God of Christianity from their previous experiences and understandings of what following religion looked like, when he says this in verse 1 to 2. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Here in this 
verse, he says, formally, whatever form of belief system they followed, wherever this had led them, it was the result of a man-made idol. Something conjured up in the mind of man and crafted by the hand of man and as such was mute. It did not speak, act or care about anything or anyone. It gave nothing back. And here he says simply it would be to remain uninformed about our God, lacking understanding to think of him like this, and to continue following a path that actually led away from the God of Jesus and Christianity to consider God to be anything like these mute idols. I don't know what background you come from this morning, but this is a massively important point about God. You know, we all come to Christianity not knowing a God that speaks and that communicates to his people. And all the lords, the rulers of our lives, we will have followed until the point of Jesus entering our lives via the Holy Spirit will have been man-made and silent. Whether we were pursuing financial gain, religious systems or practices, football, image, it had been made at the hands of man and has not cared about you in return, let alone spoken to you, known your name, known that you had an illness, known that you needed encouraging in your marriage, cared enough to correct you when you were making bad choices. They're gods that did not speak. But to think of God and Jesus in this way is way off the mark. Uninformed thinking. He is different and wants you to know it. Do you know a simple look back through history and God's story shows this unmistakably. In the beginning God spoke. God spoke to Enoch. God spoke to Job and Jonah. Job and Jonah. God spoke to Abraham. God spoke to Isaac. God spoke to Jacob. God spoke to Moses. God spoke to Samuel for a whisper. God spoke to Gideon. God spoke to Isaiah, Ezekiel and Jeremiah. God spoke to Elijah and Elisha. God spoke to all the other prophets, all of whom are just people. God even spoke to people who didn't know him, like Balaam. I believe he spoke through a donkey on that occasion, didn't he? Wow. God then rounds up the Old Testament with a promise to Joel that he would speak to everyone who believes in him in the latter ages when Jesus has come. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your old man will dream dreams. Sons and daughters will prophesy. So on into the New Testament, does he shut up? No. Mary, Joseph and Elizabeth, Zechariah and a bunch of shepherds all receive a message from the Lord via angels. Then Jesus shows up and is hearing from God constantly and all over the people, place talking to whoever will listen. Just like we've just read from John 4. Then Jesus goes away, saying he will leave his Holy Spirit, whose job we find out in the book of John is to essentially talk on behalf of God and Jesus. And then through the book of Acts, the apostles are hearing God speak again all over the place. And finally, the whole book rounds off with God speaking to John about the future right up to the end of time. Do you know, my wife sometimes tells me that she wishes I would shut up because I witter on about all kinds of things. 
at all times of day. She hates it the most just as she's trying to go to sleep and I get an idea in my head and I have to chat about it. Do you know, here should be my response. I'm sorry, love, but I'm just being like God. (laughs) Because he clearly doesn't shut up either. Yeah, deeper, take a breath. I get in trouble sometimes, I do. She would clearly respond that God speaks far more sense than me. But you get the point, don't you? To think about God like a man-made idol is just wrong. It's just wrong. It's thinking that we must shake off and do away with. God loves to speak to his people. It was as though it was a thought about God that Jesus and the apostles just never entertained. Ever. God is a living God who speaks abundantly, not a mute idol, is the first thing that Paul wants his people to grasp in chapter 12. What's the second thing? After saying, thinking about God as as a mute idol is totally wrong, he then starts to show how God works to speak in amongst believers in the church. And he does this by giving them a really simple example of two individuals. One who gives no regard to Jesus and says that he is accursed, which means terrible, horrible, horrendous. And one who loves Jesus so much that he says he is the Lord of my life. And he points out that the only difference between these two individuals is the Holy Spirit of God. Spirit of God or Holy Spirit of God. Those are just two interchangeable phrases for the same thing. So in verse 3 he says, Therefore I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say he is the Lord except through the Holy Spirit. Let me just give you some Holy Spirit 101, if you're not clear. The Holy Spirit, Spirit of God here, refers to the person of the Trinity, of the Godhead, one of the key people who makes up God in that incredible dance of relationship, which is the best way God can help us understand his being to our minds. And he has been sent by Jesus to continue the ministry of Jesus on his behalf after Jesus has gone to heaven. We had that amazing prophecy, didn't we, from Ruth? And I love it when prophecies explain theology before you get up to preach, so you don't have to. Jesus went up there, he's interceding for us, and he sent the Holy Spirit. That was the prophecy in worship, wasn't it? And because of the, his one of the Trinity is quite literally the same person as God and Jesus in one way of thinking about him. So he is the way that God is with us now via his Holy Spirit present with us. Which is why Jesus said of his going, I will not leave you as orphans, but I will send another, the Holy Spirit. But the Bible also tells us a couple of things about his individual nature within the Godhead. Firstly, he can't be seen because by his nature, he's spirit. He's not flesh and bone. But every act of God through the Bible in the word that we see comes by him. 
So he can't be seen, but he is incredibly powerful. He's the power that led the Israelites in the desert. He's the power that raised Jesus from the dead. He is the power behind the gospel. Bring it to life in our lives. And remarkably, we're told that when we believe, he comes to dwell in us as believing, enacting powerful change in our beings. And that when people lay hands, people full of the Spirit lay hands on each other, they become full of the Spirit as well. And we're told that he loves to manifest, so appear with us and show his works with us when we come together to gather as a community. The Holy Spirit is a hugely important part of Christianity, to the point that without him and his work, you have no Christianity. And what Paul is doing here in this passage is using the simple example of two men, one who dismisses Jesus and one who follows Jesus to remind the Corinthians about a key aspect of the Holy Spirit's work which makes God totally different from mute idols. That his presence inspires believers to trust God and to speak on his behalf just as Jesus did. You know, the definition, just the simple definition of to inspire in the dictionary is absolutely brilliant for helping us understand this. It means to fill someone with an urge or ability to do or feel something, especially to do something creative. To fill somebody with urges and abilities to stir them on the inside. To do or feel something, especially something creative. What Paul is saying here is that the way in which God is different from mute idols now is primarily through the Holy Spirit filling believers with urges, abilities and feelings to do creative things on God's behalf. To become his hands and lips and mouthpieces in the world around us. So Paul's second point could be summarised like this. God is not a mute idol. He is a spirit that is inspiring his people to speak on his behalf. With me? So we're here. God is not a mute idol and should never be considered as such. And he is amongst his people as an inspiring people, as an inspiring spirit. Exciting teaching, right? Yeah? Do you know what? For me, this teaching can sometimes feel like a cop-out. Absolute cop-out. Like, why would a living God who speaks do it through inspiring people now? It sometimes feels a bit like me holding a conversation with my mum via my wife where my mum would never be quite sure that it was truly my words being spoken and my wife would never would be unclear if she had truly grasped what I had wanted, not that I'm not always extremely clear, to say to my mum, surely it would just be clearer, better, if I went to the phone myself and just spoke direct to them. Or another way it sometimes feels to me is that 
This is something that a people, a group of people who wanted to tell me God was real but weren't really sure themselves would say. Yep, God is real and he speaks, but the primary way he does it now is through inspiring people, giving us inner urges and feelings or empowering things they don't otherwise, to do otherwise, things that they otherwise wouldn't do because he's spirit and can't be seen. Alright, Nutter, calm down. God inspires you to say he was Lord and that Jesus loves me. That's, that's nice. You know, maybe it is all just a bit like Darren Brown says, prophecies are just tricks of the mind. And we need to be really careful of anyone who thinks God speaks to him. These are genuine thoughts that go around my head in our culture as I, as I deal with some of the things that, that come there. You know, it's all right to grapple with these things. It's all right to, to, uh, to think your way through problems. God gave us minds difficulties and sometimes just bring to the surface but you know what one of the things that starts to unravel these criticisms in my mind as I've thought through these things is Paul's next bit of discussion where he expands on what he means of the extent of the inspiration of the Holy Spirit as the way God speaks to us shall I read it Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge, according to the Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another the workings of miracles. To another prophecy. To another the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another various kinds of tongues. To another the interpretations of tongues. And all these are empowered by the one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. You know, for Paul, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is not just an individual party piece or some form of unclear God, Chinese whisper style thing. But something that causes an explosion of life, colour and activity across a church community. That enables a gathered community of people together to do the very same things that Jesus did when he walked the earth. So that when somebody comes amongst you, they have the very same unmistakable response as the woman who Jesus encountered at the well. God is truly here. Jesus truly is the Messiah. I'm going to go tell everyone. So what we read here is that the Holy Spirit inspires different ordinary individuals in the community to do different aspects of Jesus' work in a variety of incredible ways. I'm just going to touch upon them here because Chris is going to build on this next week. Verse 8, he inspires some to utter wisdom into situations that comes from God. Counsel from the counsellor that helps bring godly safe outcomes. Verse 8, again, to some he gives knowledge that they could not otherwise know, like Jesus at the well with the woman. To some, faith in God, to trust in him through all situations and lead others in trust until works are done, like Jesus at the cross. To some, he gives gifts of healing. Wasn't great to hear today. Wasn't that great? 
That's not the first time we've heard that in Freedom Church. As we pray, people are healed. As we lay hands on people, people are healed. Like Jesus throughout his ministry, healing the blind and the paralytics. Verse 10 goes on to others the workings of miracles, like Jesus did changing water into wine. Verse 10, prophecy, to speak God's word into the situation and give information about future situations, like Jesus did when he predicted his death. To others, the distinguishing of spirits, the ability to discern the true heart of people when they amongst you, come amongst you. Are they lambs or are they wolves? And protect people, like Jesus did with the religious leaders. And then verse 10 again, and to speak and discern other languages given by God. Tongues. You know, this is the only one I can't find a direct reference to Jesus actually doing himself. But it came with the Holy Spirit uh, upon people when Pentecost happened and he poured out his spirit, when he fulfilled that prophecy of Joel that I spoke about earlier. And this was to enable them to communicate with God and other cultures that didn't speak their language, the truth of God, in incredible depth, to bridge the gap between God and all the nations of the earth, just like Jesus did. This is not an extensive list, but do you see the clear picture that Paul is painting here? That a community under the inspiration of the Spirit is a place where God's word is spoken, God's wisdom in situations is known, God's intimate knowledge of individuals is seen, God's protection is apparent, God's guidance is clear, God's healing power is visible, and God's mighty miracles are put on display as his people do things they could not otherwise do, as his presence in them and among them creates an urge, feelings and abilities to do creative things on his behalf. Do you see it? Do you know, as I think about it deeper, rather than creating an unclarity or a sense of cop-out that God speaks and shows himself through his people, to have a community like this actually remarkably confirms every aspect of the gospel in a way that a direct speaking would not. It confirms in believers and to non-believers, the Spirit of God really does come to dwell in them, bringing new life, freedom and transformation as they see the effects of God's incredible Spirit coming out of those in the community. It confirms that Jesus really is who he says he is, that he really did come and do miracles among men like are being done now to show mankind that they were lost and that he really has risen from the grave and beaten the power of death. And that God really is a God that unmistakably speaks and acts in our midst in an increasingly powerful and unmistakable way. Such a community such a shop front would see many, many, many women at the well in the modern day. You know, I think Paul's final point here could be summarised like this. Church, you must allow the Spirit to inspire you whenever you are together. Because this is the way he shows he is not to be like any other dead God that the world creates. 
if you truly want a shop window that helps people know God and the gospel truth, respond to the Spirit's prompting together and the God who speaks and acts will become known to those who encounter you, just like Jesus did. Do you know, I don't see Jesus as a wacky madman, showman. It's not how I read him. He was just a son, lovingly and wisely listening and following his father's prompts on all occasion and then acting on them faithfully. Now the Spirit is in the church. He would ask us to do the same as Jesus, to put the same God on display so that God is not mistaken for another mute idol. Guys, the inspiration of the Spirit is not a take-it-or-leave-it doctrine. It's a key doctrinal piece of Christianity, foundational. To the point that we can't have Scripture without it. Men wrote this word, so how is it Scripture? Men wrote this word. This word. Because the Spirit filled them with an urge and an ability to creatively do it on his behalf. Likewise, you cannot have been saved and renewed in life without, as the Bible puts it, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead being at work in you. The power of the Spirit. You know, most UK Christians have a great grasp of this and are happy to live like Scripture is inspired and the Holy Spirit brought Christ quietly into their lives. Great foundational youth, truths. When it comes to this teaching of Paul here, that the Holy Spirit wants to inspire us daily and absolutely transform our meetings with an explosion of God's gifts from the Spirit as we gather together, we can distance ourselves. Just put that one at arm's length. Just going to pop that one over there. No, she's the one who prophesies and brings words of knowledge. He's the healing man. We don't seek God for what gifts he wants to give and pour out on us. Which in this passage is a sense of lavishing abundance, isn't it? Sometimes it can be because we're scary and we lack a bit of faith. Or teaching that God is this God who wants to do it. Sometimes we've seen some bad models of showmanship hyper-spiritual weirdness that hasn't been helpful and, and ultimately just distances us from it. And sometimes it's because the Darren Brown worldview that we're just fooling ourselves and others steps in and discourages us. The scripture today says to you, and we build our lives in scripture, don't we? Be assured, God is not a man-made mute God, but a real God who speaks. Be confident that the Spirit of God dwells in you. And part of his work is to inspire you and pour out gifts on you, urging and equipping you to do something that communicates him. Be brave, church, to step out whenever you feel urged or moved by the Spirit within you to speak or act as you gather together. Because by this, the true living God And the wonder of the gospel is made known in your meetings. 
your shop window is well dressed. It shines bright. God bless you.